Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Promoting positivity and inclusivity. You're listening to unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Reverend Renee Rossi, and this is Open Heart Conversations with my co-host, Reverend Dr. Jose Miguel Roman. Today's guest is Nancy Wintart, a practitioner and teacher of animal and interspecies communication. What, uh, what inspired you to become so passionate about animal communication? Hmm. Well, um, animals have always been incredibly important to me in my life from the time I was a very small child. And like many children, I, um, I had very close relationships with them. And they also were my closest friends, uh, really, in, in, in the early years of my life. And so I understood them. They understood me. We understood each other. And, um, and that just really laid a foundation for this in, in my life. And at the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't think of it as anything uh, unusual or anything special. It was simply my friends. I understood them. They understood me. And then um, as I grew up and, and um, became uh, more enculturated in, into our society, I guess, um, I, I went on to, to have another kind of life um, and, um, and always had animals with me, but never really thought about interspecies communication as a, a particular thing. And um, so I had a life and a career as an adult of um, being a professional musician and music teacher. And, and then I adopted uh, my very first dog as an adult. And when he came to live with me, um, he really started to open up a lot of those things that I had experienced and felt and understood as a child. And um, I began volunteering at the shelter that he came from. And there was an animal communicator who uh, also volunteered at that shelter. And I watched her work and I, I listened to her um, communicate with the animals and translate for the animals. And it, it, it just it turned a light back on for me. And I remembered, oh, like, I know this, I, this is, I, this is how things used to be for me before life got really difficult and hard and complicated. Um, and, and so that was the opening again of rediscovering this um, for myself. And um, so I, I, I had a period of time of about 10, 12 years where I was working professionally as a musician and a, a music teacher, but also doing a lot of work with animal rescue and studying and practicing everything I could about animal communication and never dreaming that it would become what I would do professionally. That just evolved kind of organically and, and accidentally in, in, in a certain kind of way. Um, but that's, that's the short story. And um, really it's the animals who have just 
just drawn me deeper and deeper into this practice and into this work um, and into just the, um, the passion for not just listening to and understanding them, but for helping other people to recover this ability and to reclaim this for themselves as well. So Nancy, how would you describe animal communication? You know, I, what, I, what I like to, how I like to describe it is that it's a universal language, that, we, that all species share a universal language. And each of us has our own species language, including all of the other than human beings, animals and, uh, you know, plants and trees. It's, we're not just limited to, to animals. Um, but each of us has our species language. But underneath that is a universal language that all species share. And, and it's, it's not complicated. It's innate. It's our birthright. We all come in knowing this language. And what tends to happen for those of us who are here in human bodies is that we have our species language is so developed that sometimes we forget this original language. It gets, it gets buried underneath uh, our written and spoken language and the particular way that our species communicates and, and thinks in relationship to each other. Um, but it's still there. It's, it's just, it's kind of gone underground for a lot of us. And so I like to think that what we're doing is just uncovering and recovering something that is innate um, in, in, all, in all beings. And you talk about it sometimes as a kind of telepathy. Can you talk more about that in, in the universal language of being with animals, in particular being some sort of telepathy? Yeah, so the word telepathy is actually interesting because if you if you break it down into its its parts, um, tele, of course, is distance and empathy has to do with feeling. So telepathy is feeling across a distance. And so that is that's really the essence of what we're talking about here, right? Because we can feel each other. I mean, even on this call, we're separated by time and space and we're looking at each other with, you know, little squares on a screen as we're recording, but we're feeling each other across a distance. Um, and, and that's also what we can do with our other than human brothers and sisters, um, and, and so telepathy is really a way of feeling and understanding and knowing that um, doesn't rely on words, on spoken language. Um, it's a way of feeling heart to heart, we might say. So Nancy, you speak about, um, you know, animal communication, interspecies communication being innate in all of us. So does that mean that anyone can learn to communicate with animals? Absolutely. And, you know, I think of it e even more than as learning, as re relearning or uncovering, rediscovering, remembering. And just like with anything, um, that process can take practice and it, it you know, and some, some shedding of the layers that kind of prevent us from remembering and knowing what we what we came in with um, as our birthright uh, as a just a living being here in this world um, and so it can help to have some instruction and to have some training and to have some help and to have some guidance um, but it's possible for everyone and you know and just like with anything also different people have different um, levels of interest 
in doing that. Not everybody is going to be as excited about it as, you know, as I might be, right? Um, and different orientation and, and different um, level of commitment to it. But it's something that absolutely it's innate and uncovering that and remembering it is um, absolutely possible, I feel, for everyone. Nancy, they say that communication really is a way of sharing our inner life, right? Sharing our inner life with someone else. Uh, we're sharing our thoughts, we're sharing our feelings. So in your work uh, as an animal communicator, have you discovered that animals have different inner lives depending on the species? For example, is the inner life of a cat the same as a dog? Or are dogs different from birds? Um, uh, do, does the inner life of these animals uh, differ depending on the species? I would say it's not so much about the species, but uh, about each individual. And so the inner life and, and what animals can communicate with us about what they're interested in communicating about, what their experience is, what their perspective is, certainly that's influenced by how they live. Um, at, you know, in their, in their bodies, whatever bodies they have. And so in that way, um, there can be a different orientation to life and different experiences, depending on the species. But in terms of the inner life and what's available, um, I don't find that that differs between species. Um, in other words, we can, there's no limitation based on species. What a dog may communicate about in terms of their experience of their life is going to be very, you know, very different than maybe what a reptile who's living in the wild um, might, might share. But the capacity for communication um, about those things in any, you know, a, a, just an infinite variety of things is not limited um, by, by species, in my experience. Nancy, uh, you've written that there are um, about eight characteristics that can um, that essentially can help um, um, when exercised or expressed can help someone become a good animal communicator. What I'd like to do is to go through each one of these eight characteristics. I just mention each one and have you kind of comment on how that can help a person become a good animal communicator. Is that okay? Sure, sure. So let's begin with the first one, humility. So, you know, when I, when I made that list, of course, it's not a comprehensive list. There's probably all kinds of things that I could have included and didn't. But, but I, I think of humility as being a primary characteristic because it, it helps us to remember that as humans, we have a tendency to to live in a in a culture that that um, thinks of itself as as dominant and as superior. And when we approach other beings and members of other species with an attitude of humility and 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 recognizing that we come together as equals. Um, not as a superior in a superior inferior kind of dynamic. Having that humility as as humans can really help us in being open to what we might be able to hear and understand 
um, from somebody who has a very different experience and a very different perception than we may as humans. So I think it's really important to just to come come to this practice from that place of 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 just being humble and open and willing. Um, and you know, as is the title of this series, open hearted. The second characteristic is really fascinating to me. You say that a good animal communicator should be willing to be transformed. Can you explain that? Well, it's a big, it's a, it's a big topic. I could go on and on for a long time about that. But, but really what I mean by that is that this practice of listening deeply to another um, can, can and will change us. Um, and, and I know for me in my own journey, this has been very, very much the case that it really has transformed my life. Um, it's transformed the way I think about myself, the way I think about the world, the way I think about others of my species. And so in that way, it's a, it's a very, um, it can be a very deep spiritual practice. Um, of just really opening and being willing to have our perceptions and our habitual ways of thinking and, and doing and being be really shifted and transformed. The third characteristic that you write about is clarity and accuracy. Can you comment on that? Um, there are a lot of people who come um, through my circle who want to train to do this work professionally in some kind of way. And so um, the, this characteristic of clarity and accuracy, um, when I wrote that, I had particularly in mind, you know, people who really want to do this work in some capacity to help animals and other people. And so the, that requires um, a, a background of practice and study to make sure that we are actually hearing clearly and that we are actually hearing accurately and that we're not interjecting our own ideas and preconceptions onto an animal. And that's important. When people are first starting, um, I don't focus on that so much because we want to, we want to just like you know, prime the pump and get that muscle working of remembering. And so in the beginning, the clarity and accuracy is not so important as just really opening the channels. And then from there, we can start to hone in on becoming more and more clear and more and more accurate and receiving a, a more complete and full picture of what an animal is communicating with us. The fourth characteristic that you write about is a person should have human communication skills. I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. Well, and again, you know, that in, in context of, of, of talking with people who want to do this work to help others, right? Um, when we're communicating with companion animals, um, and I prefer that term rather than, rather than pets, um, but there, there's, there's a human person that, that is attached to them. And so when we're translating and helping a human and an animal to um, deepen their understanding of each other, uh, we want to make sure that we are also 
empathic and able to listen in that deeper feeling place to the human person as well, because there's a dyad there, there's a relationship. And so it's not just listening to the animal, but it's listening to the person and their perspective in relationship to the animal. The fifth characteristic that you um, speak to is neutrality and non-judgment. Speak to that, please. It's really important that we learn, first of all, to identify what our own um, filters are, right? And, you know, we all have our own preferences. We all have our own agendas, our own opinions, and none of that's a problem. That's just part of, of who we are. But it's important that we learn to kind of set those aside when we're really listening to an animal. A lot of times, you know, in our human world, we have all kinds of ways of perceiving that are very specific to our species. And if we really wanna understand an animal, we wanna just set those aside because they may have a completely different viewpoint from their perspective um, in their lives. Of, of whatever it is that we're wanting to understand more about. So that's what I mean by neutral. It's not so much being um, like blank, like we don't have to be devoid of feeling or devoid of emotion, but we wanna be neutral enough that we can set our own perceptions and our own feelings and our own experiences aside so that we can listen fresh to what an animal might have to share with us. The sixth uh, characteristics is patience. Speak to us about patience. Well, we're, you know, as a species, we tend to be very impatient, right? We want things, we want things when we want them. And um, certainly other species can, members of other species may have that, that characteristic also. But but when, when people are really developing this skill, um, what I, what I really encourage them to do is to allow them to take, allow it to take the time that it takes. And so it's different than, um, you know, people who are, again, are wanting to do a, a, a course of study or training. It's different than a lot of our other kinds of schooling and disciplines where we have a program and we go through and the harder we work and the faster we push, the, the more we accomplish. And this way of learning is, and, and relearning and remembering um, doesn't really work so well with that kind of a, an approach. What is much more helpful is to just be willing to take it slow and to be willing to explore and to be taught and to be quiet and to, you know, really, it's just, it's a different way of being. And so it requires patience um, from, for most of us, because it's different than the way we're accustomed to moving and going in the human world. The seventh characteristic that you believe makes a good animal communicator are healthy boundaries. Tell us a little bit about healthy boundaries. So, you know, with, um, Again, people who want to do this work um, to help others. Um, it's important that, that people learn how to uh, take care of themselves as practitioners. And so um, that can be anything from boundaries around time, um, boundaries around energy. There will always be more animals and people um, who need help than any one person has the capacity to help. And so that's important. And um, in my courses, I also, it, for, for 
people who are training to to do this work in in some kind of a professional capacity I also really um, work with people on developing healthy energetic boundaries so recognizing what's ours what's not ours um, learning how to open and close the um, doors of communication with intention so that we have capacity to 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 modulate that we don't necessarily want to be open all the time it can be overwhelming um and so you know when we're first learning a lot of times people want it they're just they're so excited to open and to hear and to understand um and that's that's a wonderful time and then there can also come a time where um you know what going walking down the street and being open to everything that's potential potentially coming in can be too much. And so we want to learn to have boundaries around that also. When are we open? When are we closed? When do we have permission to connect, which is really important. Um, and when, when are we invited to connect? When are we not? What's, what's appropriate? What isn't? So all of those kinds of things go into that big, bigger topic of healthy boundaries. And Nancy, the eighth uh, and final characteristic that you, you say creates or leads to good animal communication is compassion and empathy. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I think it's the, it's the essence of good communication in, you know, in any way, right? It's that ability to feel what another's feeling, to be open to feeling what another's feeling and to recognize their experience and to be willing to be with that in 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 deep presence you know and that that is um that can be practiced that can be cultivated um and it's not always easy especially if somebody is in pain or struggling or having a hard time um but that that capacity to hold that space of compassion um and and empathy without um, you know, being uh, taken down into our own emotional river, um, I think is really important. It goes back to that, you know, that, that balancing act of feeling, being able to feel, and also to have enough neutrality that we can set our own, um, our own, whatever it is aside to be really, really present with another being. Thank you, Nancy. I just love that that list of characteristics. And I've said this to you once before, because I feel anybody can use that to apply to any of their human relationships, as well as relationships with other species. So, so I just, I love how universal the list is. Um, you also, um, you know, in addition to all the characteristics that make someone a great animal communicator, you also talk about five major things that can really interfere and make it more difficult. So I'm, I'm, I'd like to explore that list with you as well. Um, the first thing you mentioned is um, distorted or human-centric attitudes, which you mentioned briefly previously, but if you could expand on that a bit. Yeah, so we all have, we all have our own viewpoints, right? And, you know, our own preferences and um, our own backgrounds, our own experiences. And a lot of times as humans, we, we tend to be somewhat blinded to those. And this can be true in our relationships with other humans also, right? We're, we can be blind to the ways that our backgrounds and our families and our cultures um, 
filter our view of the world. And so the same can be true when we're in connection with a being of another species, um, that we can filter through our human experience. Um, so our human, our human experience of emotions, for example, or our human um, experience of how even something as simple as being two-legged beings who go through the world with our eyes basically in the front of our body and moving through the world in one direction. That's a, that's a particular experience that we may not even recognize that is not shared by other beings. Um, and so it's really important to learn to just kind of set that aside and be willing to really fully experience and understand what perception, what understanding, what perspective might be like um, from, from a being who has a very, very different experience. Um, and of course, this goes into um, helping to understand some of the um, conflicts and challenges that happen between animals and, and humans, right? And the misunderstandings that can happen, um, you know, in interspecies relationships. Um, because of a fundamental misunderstanding of, of, of that kind of species-oriented perspective. The second challenge that you mentioned is a frenetic and busy lifestyle. How would that interfere? You know, pretty much in every way you might imagine, right? And so, you know, because really learning to hear and understand animals and, and, and other than human beings requires us, first of all, to quiet the part of our human um, minds that is very busy and fast, right? So our human thinking mind, um, which is very helpful to us in certain ways in our human world and, you know, getting to meetings on time and, um, you know, getting to the airport on time and, and, you know, all of that all of that part of our human way of being that is useful in a certain way is not so useful when we're practicing this other way of being of really listening and opening. And so our human lifestyle of being so fully scheduled, of moving all the time, of, of multitasking um, can really detract from that quiet place of being and presence, which is the, the you know, that's the foundation um, that we cultivate to, to begin to really listen and hear. And so this is why practices like meditation practices, for example, are so helpful because they help us with that. They help us in, in quieting and settling and slowing down. Um, and, you know, if we, if we look at the way our animal um, brothers and sisters and kin um, are in the world, particularly the wild ones, right? We can learn so much from their way of being and moving. And um, it's very different than how we, are, how we are as humans. And so I encourage people as much as is possible and it's difficult for all of us just in our, our modern cultures and the way we live, but to cultivate moments or, or times of quietness and presence and just that spaciousness so that we can begin to to hear and to listen at this deeper level. You're listening to Open Heart Conversations, and we'll be right back. All are welcome here. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Open Heart Conversations with our special guest, Nancy Windhart. Could you give an example? You just mentioned what either teaches something simple. Do you go, like I go to my cat and go, hi, how are you today? Or what do you, you know, what are you feeling? Do you like your food? I mean, how, how, how do you, what are some one or two things that you can do if you're just starting this kind of communication? Yeah, so there's there's a few things um, that we can begin doing right away. And the first thing I would suggest is just to cultivate being present. And so really, you know, it's like the foundation of so many, so many other kinds of spiritual traditions and practices, right? Is just to cultivate, like just being with, not even trying to send or receive uh, communication, but just being with your animal friend and without an agenda, just being present with them. And then the second thing might be just to open. Um, Sometimes I use the analogy of like feeling your heart center opening um, and just connecting from the heart center to the heart center of of your animal friend and just opening to feeling and receiving anything that comes through. So that might be Um, It might be a thought, it might be a feeling, it might be a picture, Um, you know, the communication can happen um, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, And that the, the telepathic communication is, you know, the shorthand that I, that I use for it. Um, But, but once we start to recognize those primary ways that we receive, so for some people, it, it may be pictures, for some people, it may be emotions, for some people, it may be body sensations. So you may be just sitting with your cat, right? And just in that very present and open hearted kind of way. And maybe something comes in like a, just a picture of the, you know, the treat bag, for example, or somebody else might get uh, the taste of that cat treat and what that feels like as the cat crunches it. And, you know, it might be a really different sensation than when we eat our favorite treat, right? Um, You know, just something, some, those are just simple examples, but, um, you know, or we may get uh, just a knowing of, oh, this is what's really important to me. Um, It's really important to me when you and I sit, you know, on the sofa together and, you know, you're reading a book and I'm just sitting with you or whatever it is. Right. Um, But that just that, you know, that cultivating that capacity to, to be present and then just to open in that in that open-hearted kind of way I would say those are those are a couple of the first tools that I teach and um, there's 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 others as well but that that can give us a place to start I think my cat would like me to read this and come to your classes because he would like more treats so right there um, it's Maybe, maybe he was the one who gave me that example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Tell her about the treats. <laughs> about the treats. Yeah. Nancy, I love that you pointed out that, you know, this presence thing is the foundation of a lot of spiritual practices. And that brings me to my next question. Um, do, do animals have a spiritual life? Like what, what have you learned about that in your communication with them? Oh, I've, I've learned so much. Um, and, you know, I would say the short answer to that question is yes. And just like us, it varies 
um, greatly by individual, by, um, you know, what, what animals and, you know, and I would include, we're using animals as a shorthand, but I would also include trees and, you know, all life. Right. And so, you know, I think as if we, if we kind of decentralize the idea of spirituality from our human perspective of it, um, and think about what, what 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 does that mean to have a spiritual life um for each of us that that's going to vary right but i think that in um in our human spiritual traditions there's a common understanding of of a spiritual life or spirituality connected to the idea of of being connected to something that is either greater than ourselves or that is a it's greater than our individual experience, right? And so, you know, whether that's called God or oneness or um, presence or you know whatever it is in whatever tradition, there's that kind of common um, understanding that that's what we're talking about in when when we're engaging in discussion about spirituality. So I've learned so much from animals about how they experience this, how they experience this communion um, with with others, how they experience communion with the earth, how they experience that connection and that sense of oneness with the cosmos. Um, You know, I've had so many incredible experiences of being um, with wild animals and thinking in particular of a time that I I was with uh, a group of humpback whales and they were engaged in this incredible, um, it it felt the word that came to me to describe what they were doing was a a prayer ceremony um, where they were in connection with each other. It was a group of, of mothers and calves. And, um, and very much as I, as I connected with them and could feel their energy, I was so aware that they were, in this deep, reverential, meditative, holy state of being in connection with each other, and also fully aware of their environment, the water that they were in, and then the the cosmos, the you know all of the energy that was available. I mean, it was it was beyond what I could really take in from my human perspective. Um, but it was so clear that what was happening there was something much deeper than um, simply the, the top layer of, of biology, right? Um, and so that's just one example. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of um, cats, you know, that I've lived with and a couple in particular who have what I might call a deep meditation practice, right? Of, you know, going out onto the earth and just meditating and being with and connecting and as I communicate with them what they're perceiving energetically and um, the levels of reality that they're in touch with it's you know I barely have I I don't have language to translate it Um, but those are just some examples and so and I think you know um, uh, we we many of us have probably had the experience of animals opening doorways for us or being with a tree that opens a doorway for us or animals coming around us and wanting to be with us when we're in our own um, deep state of being. Um, And um, I I think it's that's 
you know, that it's such a rich topic. I mean, we could go on and on for hours. I'll, I'll stop there for now, but, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an, a never ending and really infinite exploration. Nancy, uh, this is a great follow-up question, I think, and it's something we were, we, we've been kind of exploring. We had a conversation with you uh, before this program where you said something that's very deeply related to what you've just shared. You said that animal communication is deeper than simple thoughts, that in a sense, the messages are, I think you said something to the effect of they're spiritual in nature. Can you speak to us about that? I think you were getting to that as you, um, as you answered uh, Renee's last question. So I'd like to explore it. What, what, is, what does it mean that the messages are spiritual in nature? Well, you know, and I don't remember exactly um, that language, but I think what I was getting at there was um, there's different there's different layers at which we can communicate, right? And sometimes people get confused. They think if I'm not hearing a message, and generally the message is something that comes in human language and is something you know kind of short and pithy, um, like you know, I please give me more treats, right? Or you know something like that. We certainly can hear those kinds of messages, and those are valid, right? Um, and it's not to diminish that, but there is this other layer of deeper understanding and communication that is also possible. And, and I think maybe what I was referring to is that sometimes, you know, we live in this soundbite culture, right? And this reality TV culture um, where we want things to be kind of short and pithy and fast and cute and funny. And it's not that animals and other beings aren't capable of communicating in that way, they are. But, but there's this whole other layer of understanding that is available um, that for me is much more interesting um, and much more compelling. And that's the, the, spiritual, um, the spiritual nature of animals, um, the spiritual conversations that we can have with animals, those deeper nuances and layers of understanding that oftentimes can't really be translated into words. You know, and they can't be translated into something, you know, short and pithy. Um, and, you know, and, and so our animal friends are capable of a whole lot of layers of, um, of conversation and communication and connection. And I think it's important that we recognize that and not kind of um, sometimes there's a tendency in our human world to infantilize animals as being only capable of communicating about certain kinds of things or in certain kinds kinds of ways. And I think we want to be really careful about that and not limit them to that because what they're capable of understanding and sharing with us is really limitless. Nancy, when you reflect on your um, on all your life's work and, and experiences as an animal communicator, can you share with us some of the, the major lessons that you've learned? I think one of them would be to never assume anything, to never assume that I, I that I know something about another, or that I get something until I've really connected, and then that willingness to to be completely surprised, and um, com and to have my own perceptions really expand. Um, that's that's one of one of the big lessons I think, and it's just constant. Um, process of evolution and discovery and um, and you know going back to that word that we used in the beginning of transformation really um, 
of, you know, this path for me has been a deeply transformative journey that I, I couldn't have imagined when I, when I began, right. <clears throat> I just wanted to, you know, understand my dogs better, you know? And so I think that's, that's one thing. And then, you know, the other thing that I, I really, really, really can't have this conversation without talking about love. Um, and I think that, you know, love is something that it, it's hard to really talk about um, because it's so beyond the kind of limited two-dimensional capacity that we often kind of squeeze it into in our human world, right? But I think animals and other beings have taught me more about love and what it means to love and be loved and to be a living being who is here on this earth experiencing life in a body and, and what is possible in connection with another. Um, I think that's been the biggest lesson. Um, and, and it's a continual and ongoing lesson that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm awed by and I'm humbled by really every day. Thank you. This has been and uh, uh, continues to be a remarkable conversation. Perhaps like some of our listeners, I came in really more thinking about my cats and treats and, you know, man and milk communication people for me often think about their, their, if you will call their cat friend, cat friends or their animals that they live with. And it has expanded my thinking to keep remembering that it's all our friends. And recently when I was meditating, um, I've been going through a transition and for many, many, many days, uh, in fact, a couple of weeks, I had a very large hawk show up you know, for, during my meditation. And it was whenever I would sit down, he would come in and fascinating and very friendly and very much love. And one day it was a beautiful day. So I walked outside and this very large hawk comes in sitting right next to me. And I'm looking at his teeth and his claws and there was just a conversation and it was about love and about transition and about very much safety and about protection. And it was a very wonderful, powerful feeling. And I, I love that encouragement that when we really see all our animals that are out there and really what they all bring us and what we can learn from them, it's very powerful. So thank you for that reminder and that, mm -hmm. that knowing. Thank you for sharing that story. That's beautiful. And, you know, it really highlights something that, you know, maybe other people can, can find useful, which is that when we're in that state of being, you know, for you, it was in meditation and a lot of people who have meditation practices, you know, find that that's one of the ways that they, they can access um, that state of being. Um, our, our animal kin um, find it easy to be with us in that way because we're, we're, we're operating in a different way than kind of our normal human way of going, right? And so I found that to be true also that, you know, when we get quiet and when we open in that way, they go, oh, here, we can, we can be with this one, right? And I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna help her and I'm gonna connect with her in this way because there she is and she's meditating and, you know, and they can feel, they sense that state. And, you know, it's, it's true with, with wild animals, but also with our companion animals that we live with. And, you know, that's something that people can, can practice and explore. And, and it doesn't necessarily require a formal meditation practice, 
um, you know, if people have that and it help, it's helpful for them and it's something that's established, that can be one of the doorways. But sometimes I talk with people who say, oh, I can't meditate. I can't sit still. Uh, you know, it's too hard for me. You don't need that. All you need is just that capacity to just be for a few moments in, in, in a receptive, open state of being. And then you'll start to see that beings around you responding to that and going, oh, wow, she stopped thinking and moving for a little while, right? This is great, you know? Now I can really connect with her. Nancy, that that makes me wonder, as as human beings, um, can we directly ask other species for help in in matters like this, matters of healing, uh, transformation, transitions? Like, can we openly ask other species for help? Yes. Yes. It's a beautiful question. And I think the answer is not only yes, but please do. Right. Like, please do. And, you know, it's kind of goes to um, the bigger topic of where we find ourselves in our world right now with the relationship, you know, the really fractured relationship uh, that of our human species with other, the other species who share our planet and the, you know, very difficult, um, situation that we are in globally because of that fractured relationship. And, and I think, you know, for us to come with that attitude of humility and asking for help and whether it's something in our personal life that we're working with, um, that we need, that we need support with or guidance with or understanding, um, we can ask our companion animals. We can ask the wild ones that we're in relationship with, like your, you know, like the hawk, right? Um, or you know, whoever it is. Um, and then also, you know, in the broader context of um, recognizing and understanding that other species have awareness and understanding that we maybe don't have as a species and asking for their help in, in a broader way also, um, I think is really um, um, not only possible, but, but critical. You know, sometimes we think we, uh, you know, as humans, we have to f- figure out the solutions to all these problems that we have created. And while I think it's important that we take responsibility for those problems, um, we, we may not actually be capable of all of the solutions. There may be other beings that have that have better solutions than we do. And so that just asking for help and opening to that awareness, I think it opens this whole, I mean, again, this is another topic we could go on and on about for a long time, right? But but just that 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 humility and that openness of um you know of of requesting. And in my experience, what I found in working with students, even like people who are just wanting to learn animal communication or relearn it, right? Um, One of the first things I tell people is ask your animals for help. And once you do that, they will start to come forward. They'll go, oh, like she wants to, you know, she, okay, I'm going to help, you know, Um, and they do. And so, um, yes, ask, ask for help, be willing to receive that help, be open to that help. And it's available and it's a, a really beautiful way of, of interacting and of understanding and opening the doors of our reception and perception. It's really interesting. There's actually research that shows that you know, animals have a sense of uh, impending um, natural danger. For example, hurricanes, tsunamis, um, volcanoes, 
animals have been known to actually respond to these literally at times 48 hours before they happen. It's interesting if we were listening more deeply, um, how many human lives could be actually saved. And it's just yep. saying that, um, it's just, um, it, it really, really, really uh, resonated with me very deeply. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if, if we have time, I could share a couple of examples uh, uh, about that because, you know, I remember um, being in a consultation with, um, I don't even remember who the animal was. I think it was a dog, um, but it was shortly before an earthquake. Um, and uh, that, you know, and I didn't know, I mean, no, nobody knew that there was an earthquake coming and the dog didn't show it as an earthquake, but there was like, there's something really unstable. There's something really strange happening. I'm feeling things, I'm hearing things. And, um, you know, and the person was in Northern California, I think at the time, and it was not long before there was a significant quake. So, you know, absolutely that has happened. And, and another example from my own animal family that I didn't really understand until after the fact. Um, I have a, a cat, his name is Louie, who's an elder now, he's, he's 19 years old. And he is one of the beings that has taught me so much about spirituality. And um, he meditates, he goes on the earth and he's, all, as long as I've lived with Louie, he's had this incredible capacity to sense and feel uh, what is happening with the earth. And I often say I, you know, I, I like my primary job is to keep him fed and housed and well cared for. And he does something that, you know, I barely can understand. But he came to me, I, I remember it so clearly, um, in the early part of 2020, um, before we knew really about the COVID pandemic. Um, and uh, he said, something is really strange out there in the world. There's real, there's something really unstable. It's really, really, you know, like something is bubbling up is the way he showed it to me. And it has to do with the human world. And it has to do with, it, with, with an energy that it feels like it's, it's becoming quite chaotic. And I didn't understand what that was at the time. And then, you know, looking back, and I can't quite remember the, the timing of it all, but it was maybe, you know, a a few weeks, you know, at, at most before we really started to understand um, and hear the first reports about COVID. Um, and, um, and then I, I went back to that communication that he gave me and I went, oh, you know, I understand like now, you know, and he didn't say, he didn't say there's this virus and it's, you know, going to do this and it's going to, it didn't come like that, but it was this, there's this energy that's happened. Something's brewing, something's, and he could feel it. And, um, and so, yes, to what you were saying. Um, and, you know, those are just some, some examples of how, you know, um, of what our, our, our animal friends are in touch with um, and those senses and levels of awareness that, um, that, that we, I think we've just lost them. As, as a species, maybe not completely. I think we have that capacity also, but, but for all the reasons that we've talked about already that you know, we've, we've, lost, we've lost touch with that, we've lost track of that. And our animal friends can help us to reconnect in that way. Nancy, this has been such a rich conversation and I know that many of our viewers and our listeners are gonna have 
a lot of questions and a deep desire to explore more and learn more. How can they do that? How can someone interested in interspecies communication, animal communication, learn more about it? Well, you know, the, the beautiful thing is that there are a lot of us who are doing this work in the world right now. And so there's a lot of different places to learn. There's books, there's courses, um, and, you know, a quick internet search will will lead all kinds, give you all kinds of resources. If people are interested, um, particularly in um, the things that I have to share, you can go to my website, which is nancywindhart.com. And I've got some free materials, a free introductory course called the basics of animal communication, where, you know, people can just, just get their feet wet. Um, uh, And um, lots of material there on, on the website. And there's, there's, there's a lot out there. What I encourage people to do is to really, you know, see what resonates and um, see what feels right for them. And you, I really believe people are drawn to the, the, the books, the writings, the teachers, the experiences that, um, that are right for them. And so it's just, you know, some, some places to start and begin this journey. And, you know, more importantly, than anything I would say is start with your own animal friends. And, you know, just as Renee was saying, ask for help, right? And then and there are tools and there are practices and there are techniques that we can use, but they're the best teachers. Um, and they, they're, and they're available and, and they're ready to kind of welcome us back into the web of life. Nancy, thank you so very much. This has been such a wonderful conversation on behalf of the entire Open Heart Conversation, Spiritual Family, and United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Thank you for uh, for walking us through this phenomenal conversation and this exploration. Thank you so much. It's been a real privilege and pleasure to be here with all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop Shea, uh, uh, Reverend Renee. Thank you so very much, both of you, for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you all. Yes, beautiful conversation. To all our viewers and listeners, thank you for participating in Open Heart Conversations. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to Open Heart Conversations, brought to you by the United Palace of Spiritual Arts in Manhattan. You can listen to Open Heart here on Unity Radio and watch all of our programs at upspiritualarts.org. See you next time. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.